Hi, everyone. Welcome to the B++ podcast, a podcast where we speak with leaders from around the world, leaders who are here to solve your problems as leaders, as uh, people in decision-making positions, as people who are trying to push the boundaries uh, for their organizations and themselves. My name is Abhi, and today I'm very, very happy to introduce a very special guest, Art Johnson, all the way from Minneapolis, uh, enjoying a bit of warmer weather. How are you doing, Art? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely lovely to you know have you. And just an introduction, Art is the CEO of Infinity Systems and a management consulting uh, you know role, leadership role that he's been playing for quite a while. You know, an organization that you know the more I heard about it, I found it very interesting. It says. Uh, that helps leaders identify and rectify organizational misalignment, you know, and I could think of 500 ways that, you know, organizations are misaligned <laughs> and, and I need to sort of ask you a lot of questions about it. And also what would be really interesting uh, to talk about is the book that you've written. So Art is the author of The Art of Alignment, a data-driven approach to lead aligned organizations. So I see the word alignment a lot and of course you know the word art you know coming from <laughs> you quite interesting as well so what inspired you right i mean i always ask because i i know you know and speak with a lot of leaders and they are doing fabulous work but not everyone has enough content or feels that compelling need to then pen everything down in a book and says okay i'm ready to share this with the world so what led to this uh, book so I, uh, as, as a kid, grew up in a uh, predominantly white neighborhood and uh, basically integrated my grade school. And as the first person of color in the school and only at the time, I had this need to, uh, or I quickly learned who was on board and who was against me. And, uh, and it carried on into my professional career as well. And so as I moved up the corporate ladder pretty quickly, um, you know, it became paramount to get everybody on the same page. And the faster you know who's on board who isn't, the more effective you can be as a leader. So right. when I learned that we had significant areas of, of misalignment where people were varying from or, or, or swaying from the, uh, the mission and the vision of the organization, it became critical to figure out what was driving that, how to measure the degree to which they were aligned or misaligned, and then how to quickly rectify those things. So I grabbed a handful of PhDs. Uh, I said, you know, uh, there's got to be a way to measure this. They said, well, there, there are tools out there. And the answer back was, well, Art, you can, you can use your engagement study. I said, well, I've been using that for some time now. But what I kept finding out was that there were people that were, were very engaged, but they weren't all engaged in the right things. And so it, it became paramount to measure this idea of alignment, which is to take engagement and add purpose to it. And that way we land in the space of alignment and the more aligned an organization is no secret, the better it performs. So we began measuring this right away, quickly found within the last significant leadership role that I had in corporate America, that there was extreme misalignment. Once we fixed it, we were able to drive top line revenue 13% year over year in a flat market. Now that is extremely difficult to do as a market leader when you own 55% of the market, you have to take market share to do that. And uh, it was clear that, uh, that we had something at this point. And so then it, it, to yeah. take and 
and begin to uh, expand that that effort and continue to drive that performance for the, uh, the the next five years, and then quickly realize that this is something that I need to share more robustly and get it out into the uh, into the mainstream. So at that point in time, I decided to commercialize what we now refer to as orgometrics, organizational metrics, and that's a way to measure organizational alignment. And uh, at that point in time, uh, after a few years of doing that and collecting enough data, it was time to write a book and share some of the findings. And I'm so glad you did, <laughs> you know, and, and, and one of the things that you just said, you know, a couple of things, uh, you know, uh, were of huge interest. I believe the organization that you're talking about and that you had a significant impact over was probably Medtronic, uh, right? I, I read some, yeah, I, I read somewhere that, you know, you helped them increase their revenue significantly by this alignment. So that was fabulous. So, I mean, there was already, you know, uh, proof of concept, so to speak, before you even, you know, got started. And, you know, and obviously coming from market leader, that makes it, you know, so much more valuable, you know, because it, then everyone knows there is a, a playbook. So the other thing that you mentioned is engagement with purpose, right? Is uh, is that what you said? Yeah. That's so, correct. yeah. So one of the things, uh, you know, and I believe when you say engagement with purpose, it means, uh, you know, an organization's leaders have a certain vision and mission, as they call it, for the organization and make sure that the employees or, you know, uh, followers, so to speak, are aligned with that vision in the sense, and not only aligned because they have to be kind of aligned, but do it very enthusiastically. So is that what it means? Absolutely. You know, we we want you to show up and bring your full self to work. We mm-hmm. want you to be in a place where the things that you're being asked to do uh, and the mm-hmm. things that you are challenging your employees to do, every one of us are doing these things almost cheerfully because right. we can clearly see line of sight how our how our contributions have a direct mm-hmm. impact on the trajectory of the organization and its overall performance. So not only are we clear on that, we're also clear on what the common goal is. So a lot of the responsibility rests with the leaders of the organization to sell the vision. You talked about it, right? You know, this this idea that we've created a mission statement that says who we are, but the world wants to know what's or everyone wants to know what the world's going to look like if we do realize that mission. And so that vision becomes extremely critical in terms of giving people uh, some insight as to what, what's, what's in store. And so that excitement comes, we've got a clear goal. It's, it, it's straightforward in terms of what contributions each individual is making. And then we can begin the ascent towards success. Absolutely. And, and, you know, how easy or difficult it is, right. To find that vision, right. In the sense, because again, uh, what you're saying is the onus is on the leader and, you know, uh, leadership in itself is quite challenging on a day-to-day basis. And then to find that uh, vision, right? So for instance, first, you know, it has to be vision that everyone will uh, feel excited about or buy into. And then secondly, you know, keep sort of evolving with time as well. So how important is it to, is there a way that a leader should, uh, define what that vision is and what that mission is before they share uh, with their teams? Or is it something that, you know, you just know instinctively and that everyone then has to buy into that leader's vision? You know what I mean? Well, I, I think that, like I said, the, the leader has to sell it. Right. So, so if in fact we've established the mission of the organization 
And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get uh, everybody to, uh, to espouse that mission mm-hmm. and it become truly imbued in the hearts and minds of the employees. Then mm-hmm. I, I've got to sell what the world's going to look like if we're able to accomplish that. So, right. you know, I, there are some nonprofit organizations. I think um, St. Jude is one uh, that right. has a, a nonprofit uh, hospital that, that makes the statement that, you know, we won't stop until cancer is completely eradicated. And so that vision of no longer there being cancer in the sphere of people dying from it, it touches the hearts and minds of, of every employee. And when you start to see uh, people leaning in and, and helping to identify ways to, to alleviate it and making their contribution and be able to put their stamp on it, and then being rewarded and recognized for those efforts, it, it creates an atmosphere and an environment where people can really get excited. And so that's part of the role of the, of the leaders to, is to create that energy and excitement around what it is we do. And uh, a simple word to describe that is purpose. Why do we show up every day? Why do we lean into our work? Why do we put our best foot forward? Why do we stay, stay late in the day and after hours to continue our work? One of the interesting things, Abil, is you know, in the work that we do, we measure this, this stuff. Right. And what we find is that a person who's more bought in to the mission and vision, in other words, is, is more aligned or uh, more aligned to it. They don't burn out. You, right. You're doing what you're doing, what you want to do. And you right. see the rewards uh, of your efforts. And so you're excited to show up for work. You don't get tired as quickly. You're less apt to get sick. Um, you're, you're a much better team member. All kinds of wonderful things happen when uh, when a person has bought into uh, to the vision. Right. I mean, so what it tells me, uh, you know, as somebody who's running a team, is that before you inspire, you got to introspect as well, right? In the sense that it has to be because now you have, you know, double the responsibility. I mean, you always do as a leader, but the fact that you know a leader. And obviously, somebody who just says, oh, I want to make $50 million is not really a vision, you know, that anyone will buy into. And the fact that there has to be deeper introspection in terms of what uh, will this organization create? How will it impact people's lives? And and of course, you know, nobody's going to buy into a vision of, oh, let's work so that our boss can make $50 million this year. <laughs> so So there is a lot of, uh, you know, introspection that goes into it. And I guess, you know, true leaders would have already done it. But uh, and once you introspect, then you inspire. And then, like you said, you know, it's, it's the job of a leader to sell that, you know, and, and, and they, people need to feel that they are making a difference, especially in these dystopian times when, you know, people are not able to see their family members and, you know, not socializing and all kinds of challenges. And all the more, you know, this is the time uh, more than ever for people to really buy into why they are doing what they are doing. Right. So so which brings me, uh, you know. To the next question, I, you know, the book also mentions, you know, that the leaders need to develop their skills, you know, and set clear and ethical goals for themselves, right? So what kind of skills and goals would these be? Well, you know, one of the skills we're, we just touched on, which is this idea of being able to sell the vision, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not just selling your vision, it's, it's selling the shared vision. It's the one right. that we collectively as, as, as a group espouse and are excited about not just the fact that you can go make 50 million, but, but that we all can benefit from, from this collective goal that we've established. 
And, you know, right. in, in the United States, we have this, this sport called American football. And every year, each team is, is, aspires to go win the Super Bowl. And so right. that becomes the shared vision of the organization. It's not about mm-hmm. one player becoming the most valuable player and, and saying that's right. what we're all here to go do, make, him, make this one individual the most valuable player. We are trying to go win a Super Bowl. And that means we all win and we all get a Super Bowl ring and we benefit and the world, the, as we know it, will be different. We'll see it through a different lens. And we'll have opportunities afforded to us that we might not otherwise have because we are considered to be champions. And so the degree to which the leader can take the time and articulate specifically what that world will look like, what it will mean to each of the individuals, how the broader community will benefit from it, it creates this excitement and energy around it. And there are some leaders that are outstanding at doing it, and some could use some work. So part of this is, is, is finding those leaders that have that skill and, and giving them a megaphone to, to deliver the message and, and right. helping, helping them to get the opportunity to cascade that message more effectively. And for the ones that don't necessarily have that skill, which is what you're talking about, it's, some, right. it's an opportunity for development, which is to not only practice this idea of public speaking, but at the same time, how do I convey my authentic self? Because right. at the end of the day, each leader is, or each organization moves at the speed of trust. And right. leaders must be trusted. And trust begins with authenticity. So the degree to which that leader can convey an authentic message creates an opportunity for them to connect more deeply with the employees and deliver a much more uh, move, a, a message that's going to move people toward uh, buying into this vision. These are skills right. that are required. Sure. I mean, I love sports analogies, so I'm glad <laughs> you know you brought them up. I, I have and, countless, uh, I have countless sports analogies. Yeah, I have no doubt. Yeah, and so the other thing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I, the reason I was asking you about this is, you know, so all for all of you who are watching and listening in is the fact that if you get up in the morning and you say, Hey, I'm not the most inspirational person on the planet. And I don't get up in the morning to say, I'm going to change the world. That's okay too. So you can read the book and you can figure out ways that you can sort of arrive at that message, arrive at that vision and mission, right? Because I have come across, you know, some very effective leaders, uh, but they may not be the most inspiring uh, people. Right. So I, I think, you know, and, and I've noticed a lot of them just sort of give up on that and they just feel that, hey, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to do that. I just, you know, keep my head down. I get things done and everything. And they're quite effective. I mean, no doubt about that. But again, I believe and, you know, that's why I was quite excited, uh, you know, to speak with you because I truly believe in that. Right. We, we have to find uh, not only, you know, for the organization, but even for ourselves as leaders, uh, we have to find something which is bigger than us, right? Like you mentioned, how do we impact the community, you know, the society at large, you know, what is the impact that this organization is having, all the families of all the people who are working and in many cases sacrificing. And so, you know, it's just, I'm so glad that you mentioned that even if somebody feels they're not a very inspiring leader, they can still find uh, tools in the book to sort of become more inspiring, right? They can, uh, or it's that opportunity to find someone in the organization that has that skill set. So part right. of the there's 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 a couple different types of leaders, Abil. Right. So you mm. have some leaders that are out in front with the with the megaphone that are out mm. blasting the message, getting it out, you know, to the broader right. organization. 
as to what right. it is that's being expected of them. But then there are other leaders that have more of a shepherd sort of approach, which is, mm-hmm. you know what, we have some bellwether out there that are more capable, that might be a little bit faster, might be a little bit smarter, might be a little bit better in terms of inspiring the broader employee base. Let's give them the opportunity to do that. And as a leader, I'm going to lead from behind and make sure that we are all getting behind this particular individual so that we are collectively going in the same direction. And so it's a different, different approach to it, but yet recognizing what the need of the organization is and infusing that is, is the hallmark of a true leader. It doesn't mean you have to beat the one, but you need to find the one. Right. A good captain can find a more flamboyant quarterback, right? <laughs> so something of, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a you know, great point as well, right? So we don't always have to do everything ourselves. You know, it's a collective effort. There's somebody on your team who buys into the message already, who understands you, who's probably, you know, been working with you for a long time. And, and so you don't have to be the one with the megaphone, you know, you don't have to be the wolf of Wall Street inspiring people to <laughs> do those trades, right? <laughs> you, you can know, find you, somebody you else. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You know, right. uh, this is something that, that, that in the book I, I specifically reference, which is, right. you know, I, I walked from industry to industry and it didn't matter because we had right. enough technical aptitude within the organization. Right. We have plenty of that. Right. What we needed was what we needed was real leadership, which is seeing things through a different lens, asking questions that not only inspire but begin to expand the thinking. You know, it's it's so funny. I, I think back to my father. Right, my father was a drill sergeant in the army, um, just army trained, not, no formal education uh, other than that. Um, but you know, I can recall back uh, cutting the grass as a kid, and after I was done, uh, Dad mm-hmm. had this way of asking these effective questions, which was. Uh, after I got done, he asked me, he said, well, Art, is this the best, is this your best work? Mm. And I looked at it and I could see a spot that I missed. And I looked at him and I said, no, this isn't my best work. And he mm. looked at me and he said, you know, when do you think we'll see your best work? Right. And that was inspiring enough. He didn't need to raise his voice. He just went on back inside. I fired that lawnmower back up, finished off the mm. job and mission accomplished. Leaders have the ability to, or strong leaders have the ability to inspire and sometimes right. that inspiration comes by asking effective questions. And my father was an outstanding communicator, and I learned at an early age. And in fact, mm. in chapters one and six, we talk about leadership, but chapter seven talks about communication and the power of bi-directional communication. Right. That's fabulous. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can just imagine, uh, you know, your father asking that question. You know, it, it's so important uh, to get people to sometimes uh, realize that they are better than what they are doing, right? And and it's it, it's so subtle, and not many people can get it done, right? But in the sense that uh, you don't have to criticize them, you don't have to point fingers. You just have to, you know, ask them. You know, like like your father did. Is you know, do you think this is your best work? Well, that that'll stay with me forever. That's 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 lovely. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to check with you is, you know. Some things that we've realized, right? So I will sort of probably speak from experience that sometimes when you're interviewing people, when you're trying to get people on board, right? So is there a way uh, where you realize whether this person is the person who's going to buy into that vision? Because I must say, I'm a, and I know, you know, you talk about, you know, 
a good listener you know somebody who is a great interviewer is a great interviewee and 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 the fact that how do you realize or maybe decide whether that person is the right person because you know you can bring somebody in is there a way right because i must say i have hired some of the worst people possible right so and i i think i'm a terrible interviewer and i i acknowledge that and i'm i try to work on it but again i have tried to find somebody else in the organization who does that right so because i come from a place where i just believe that everyone else will believe and then i i just make terrible mistakes so is there a way for an employer or a leader to identify those people before they even become a part of the organization so i you know i, I think it's it's safe to say you know be slow to hire and and quick to fire right so when you identify someone that clearly does not align with the mission vision and and does not express and demonstrate the desire to do so uh, you've typically got to move quickly because not only uh, could this person potentially create a cancer within the organization or they could just simply quit and stay on right so they don't always just leave they many times stick around and and, and create more problems so so you typically have to move quickly uh, on that but the idea of hiring the right people there's a couple of things that I, I always try to keep in mind um, early in the interview process I, I talk about mission and vision and I talk about things that that we uh, aspire to be as an organization and the pathway by which we we have chosen to get there. And I try to get a sense for how uh, they've bought into this on the front end, but how they might contribute to it as well. And, mm-hmm. and, and kind of what I'm looking for is critical thinking in that area. I'm looking for the passion and energy being brought to the answers. And then uh, once I, once I got a pretty good sense of that, then this idea of references, as you know, um, I, I never check what the references you give me because I, right. I, you know, I, I've got to find other ways to, uh, uh, to begin to figure out who it is that I'm hiring. And then mm-hmm. at that point in time, I, I, I'm more apt to make that decision after I've, I've gotten that adequate feedback mm-hmm. about the individual. But, you know, this is, it's a difficult thing. You know, there's, there's right. no surefire way to determine. You have professional interviewers out there that are really right. good at uh, answering questions, but, uh, Typically, someone who has a track record of success uh, mm-hmm. with, with minimal broken glass, in other <laughs> words, they're reasonable to work with and deal with, are usually pretty good signs. Right. Okay. Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, like you said, uh, be slow to hire and quick to fire. So I think we can do the latter quite well. We need to just slow down a hiring process, you know, and, and obviously, you know, stuff in the technology business these days, because, you know, there's such a demand and supply mismatch and, you know, uh, you know, everyone has like thousands of options out there. And we, I'll, I'll touch upon, you know, uh, uh, I know you talk uh, in the book about different age groups and how to sort of keep them aligned. I'll come to that. But I want to ask you, you know, you, you spoke about how you can measure the alignment, right? So in the sense, so is there like a alignment, uh, you know, sort of metric that you can say, okay, this organization is, let's say, 20% aligned or 50% aligned. And then, uh, and how do you sort of, you know, come to that conclusion? And I believe, you know, that also talks about the nine pillars of alignment. So maybe you could share a bit more about uh, those. Well, I appreciate that. So the, these things are uh, outlined in the Art of Alignment, the, the nine pillars specifically, which are the components 
that we use to measure organizational alignment. This is vetted by PhDs. We have um, uh, a high level of psychometric scores associated with each of the pillars and then the collective score in terms of being able to measure organizational alignment via this tool we call Orgometrics. And so the nine pillars uh, get at individually um, different elements that contribute to how aligned an organization is. We talked a little bit about leadership. We talked a little bit about communication. Um, there are a couple others I'll just highlight here real quick. One sure. is accountability. And that is a culture that many organizations espouse. And mm-hmm. what we see oftentimes is everybody wants to measure specifically uh, what is the accountability score. Can you give us a sense of what that is? And that becomes the, the, uh, the target to go after. We're going to go fix our accountability score. But if right. you're really trying to address that, Abil, the key here is to measure and monitor empowerment. So mm-hmm. the degree to which you empower people to go make decisions and take action and hold them accountable for the outcome is just as important as the measurement of progress. And so part of the exercise here is, is to begin to push decision-making down in the organization as best you can. If you can't do that, then we've got to talk about some of the hiring practices and we've got to go fix some of those things. But assuming that we have the right people on the bus, the key is to push decision-making down, then to hold those accountable to those actions and outcomes, if you will. And then once they achieve the goal, make sure that we're recognizing the effort and the work that goes into that. And so that we can begin to rinse and repeat these activities. But in paramilitary organizations, what we see is high accountability score, low low empowerment score. In other words, people are being told what to do. And when you tell somebody what to do and then you try to recognize them for what they've done, who are you really recognizing? You're in essence recognizing yourself. And so we we get ourselves into this uh, vicious cycle that we have to reverse. And, and the way that we, the, the, the recommendations that, that we put forth or that the book puts forth is leaders should ask more questions than answer mm-hmm. questions. In other words, when, when faced with a difficult situation, an employee comes in the door, the tendency of a smart person is to answer the question. They can't help it. It's just, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're smart. You've always been the Oracle of information. People come to you with difficult questions. When they come to you with something, you feel compelled to answer. But if you just pause for a second and ask, well, what, what, are, the, what are the options that you have? Right. And what that does is it fosters critical thinking. And so now we've expanded the possibilities of the answer. Right. Now at this point in time, we can start to, to dissect which one is the most appropriate one. But we allow the employee to make that decision so that they are accountable mm-hmm. for the outcome. And typically the mm-hmm. outcome is a lot better when, when, they've, when they've bought into it. Right. So the, yeah, I so think, the, uh, yeah, sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just saying, so these are a, a handful of the pillars of alignment and the degree to which these things create the crescendo. What we're looking for as people answer the questions, there's 21 questions in the instrument. It takes less than 10 minutes to get through mm-hmm. it, but we're able to quickly ascertain where the issue is. Is this, a, is this an accountability issue? Is it an empowerment issue? Is it a teamwork issue? Leadership? What? Where is it? Uh, what, what pillar is it that's the biggest challenge? And then what pocket of the organization is experiencing mm-hmm. this area of occlusion? 
Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I mean, the part that you uh, spoke about accountability without empowerment, right? I think that happens so often across organizations is, you know, people talk about accountability, but they don't really truly empower their people, you know? So, and and that, I mean, I, I must say, uh, I've seen that happen a lot. Uh, I've been quite mindful of that and trying not to do that, but I must say I'm terribly guilty uh, you know, of answering questions, right? So in the sense that I don't ask enough questions and, and it's, it's something that I've been trying to unlearn. And, you know, so in fact, yesterday I was speaking to one of our, you know, project managers and I was asking her about, so what do you think we can do? And honestly, it didn't come naturally to me because I was ready to end that conversation in 30 seconds and say, do this, do this, do this, do this. You have messed up, now fix it or whatever. And what I realized was that she came up with a response that was very refreshing and something I could not have ever thought of. And, and that was, you know, uh, that was a, you know, sign that I need to step back a little and just sort of curb my natural <laughs> instincts of answering questions and ask a, a lot more. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 when you do that, you give the organization energy. What you've done yes. is you've empowered that employee. They're ex- when they leave your office, so the goal is to have them leave your office with more energy than they came with. And so right. the fact that you've empowered them and that they've come up with their own idea and they get to go implement it and that they have your trust and confidence that, uh, that you're behind them and willing to support them, that creates a lot of energy within the organization. We call that zapping the energy right. to the organization versus sapping it of its energy. Okay, I'll focus a lot more on zapping now. <laughs> That's a pretty uh, cool term. Yeah, you know, which brings me to the question that I was referring to earlier is, you know, how do you handle, you know, people from different sort of backgrounds and most importantly, you know, different age groups, right? So for instance, different things drive different people. So, uh, and not to sort of generalize or stereotype here, but in the sense that, you know, we all know that, uh, the younger lot are inspired by completely different things uh, in most cases than people with a lot of experience. So, you know, for instance, if somebody is looking for stability, somebody is looking for recognition, maybe somebody younger is looking for a sense of purpose, you know, like you know, more work-life balance, because I think the days of, you know, okay, I'm going to work 65 hours a day so that I can uh, you know, I can get a pat on the back from my boss are uh, long gone. Uh, so, and, and thankfully so, you know, and, and so, uh, how do you, you know, sort of align the organization where all of these different age groups feel a part of it and not like get the sense that this is only meant for this group? Because I've, I've experienced that and I've seen, you know, I was speaking with this startup founder the other day and he, he had a different sort of challenge and he felt that a certain nationality, because they had cross-border teams, a certain nationality bought into the way they were functioning, but, uh, you know, a different set of people, you know, maybe it was cultural differences or something. So how how do we go about this? So, you know what? We're, it's interesting you asked this question. So, um, what we found in our work was that certain pockets in different organizations felt disenfranchised. Right. So, for instance, as we measured organizational alignment, we would see that different nationalities, in some instances, felt more uh, disenfranchised than others, and therefore were more misaligned. 
And right. so it, pro- it prompted us to dig into that. And, and mm-hmm. out of it came another instrument of measurement uh, called Equimetrics, mm-hmm. which is measuring specifically okay. diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would just say this, and you know, um, what we're learning in, in, in this exercise as well is that you have people that are in the age range of your typical millennials, but then they think like baby boomers. And then you have right. certain that age range of baby boomers that think like millennials or Gen Zers right. or whatever. And so right. we can't be so sure that they're going to fit into one category. So the basic premise in terms of how to deal with employees is to move from the golden rule to the platinum rule, which is the golden rule is to treat everyone as you want to be treated. But the platinum rule is to treat people the way they want to be treated. And the only way that you can find that out is by getting to know them and understanding where they're coming from and understanding specifically what things matter to them. And by doing that as a leader of the organization, what you're doing is you're sending a message to that team that, this is one important to me Two, it helps build trust within the organization. It must be done in an authentic way, but it, then it also gives a blueprint to that leadership group as they go to cascade that sort of ideology to their leadership teams. And so right. it becomes important, particularly at the top of the organization, because you set the stage and the tone for what it is that the, the type of culture that you're trying to create. And if it's one of, of this servant leadership, which is this concept of the platinum rule, then I think it's critical that uh, you take the time to get to know the players on the team and not just ask them to show up and do their job. Well, that's, that's, that's really, really insightful. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, I must say I've not really looked at it that way and at least not looked at it from a point of view of, you know, wanting to do it you know there have been a lot of attempts made some successful some not so successful in terms of getting to know people but you know it's it's i think it's not been uh, sort of embedded in the organizational culture and i can't think of many organizations that are doing that in fact i can think of hardly any organizations that are doing that because there is this top down messaging and then of course there are a lot of you know, bells and whistles in terms of getting people to believe in something. But, you know, this, what you're talking about is a very sort of uh, fundamental change in which an organization is run where, you know, not, uh, you know, think about how you would like to be treated. But, you know, so in a way that, you know, I, I and, would and, just, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would tell you that pay doesn't always solve it. In fact, very yeah. seldom does it solve the problem. <clears throat> you know, many employers think, well, I pay you to do this work. Yeah. So they right. go do it. But, yeah. but what you're going to get is just enough to, to satisfy the need. Whereas if you had a person that had real purpose for what it is that they're trying to do, you're not only going to get what you expected, but you're going to get something more and something more meaningful. And that person's also going to create more energy for the people around them so that we can right. collectively move faster and have excitement about the work that we're doing. There's an organization, um, a, a very uh, large state government uh, agency that elected to do just that. And they, mm-hmm. they, they figured that uh, the voluntary turnover within their organization was substantially high and they wanted to address it. So what they right. did was they increased the pay of those employees by 20%. And what they found was it didn't move the needle at all. People still were mm-hmm. opting out and choosing to leave. So compensation doesn't necessarily solve this. 
it's the right. degree to which I feel a sense of purpose to the work that I do. And I will feel that sense of purpose if I understand how I can contribute and that that contrib- contribution is significant. I can see line of sight, what's expected of me and how I'm evaluated and they are consistent. And, uh, and then also I feel like my voice is being heard. And that's a lot of times what we see in the classic millennial space. Uh, do I feel like my voice is being heard and, and the degree to which that's, that's in play, it seems to uh, have a direct impact on, uh, on voluntary turnover in a positive way. Absolutely. I, I mean, in fact, uh, it's so interesting you say that. I was reading this morning that a lot of the, you know, large Indian tech companies, for instance, they have uh, attrition rates of up to 21, 25%. I mean, these are large companies hiring thousands and thousands of people every year. And what they've realized and very much in line with what you just said is that it's the non-monetary incentives that keep people at work. And so a lot of them have introduced, you know, different things in terms of, you know, uh, training programs, for instance, or, you know, some kind of uh, foundations and community within the organizations. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's so important uh, for organizations, especially in this day and age to understand you know like for instance when we live in a world where even netflix tells you to watch something very different from what it tells me and what is a 97 percent match for you maybe a 57 percent match to me then we cannot treat all our employees the same you know they have to be treated very differently and we have to i think make a much uh bigger effort in understanding them so yeah i think uh yeah that's what i'm gonna (laughs) try and do a lot more this year so uh, before I let you go, and I know it's getting late in your part of the world, I just wanted to, you know, I like to, uh, you know, speak to thought leaders and try and get some predictions or, you know, their understanding of some trends globally. And, and you know, I think you would be the best person to, you know, answer this question. And I feel, you know, in my lifetime that this is probably the biggest shift when it comes to employer-employee relationship. So it was already happening, has been accelerated by, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the way uh, when people don't even meet. So I wanted to understand what's your thoughts on, you know, some of the trends you think about the future of organizations. I, you know, there are reports that say there would be more than a billion digital nomads uh, in the next year or so, you know. So obviously we know that gig economy was picking up quite a bit. Uh, you know, there's a lot of activism in a lot of large tech companies. You see some kind of unionization and people say, why are we doing this? You know, I don't want those stock options, but why are we doing this? And, you know, whether it's marginalization or whether it's, you know, any social cause that they believe, what is our organization doing for climate change and everything? So so from a leadership point of view, uh, what do you think is, you know, I know it's a very broad question, but w- what are some of the trends that you see? Uh, emerging for the future of organizations and how should leaders sort of be prepared for it and maybe do something about them? Well, you know, I think number one, performers, high, high performers within the organization are going to vote with their feet. Mm. Uh, and uh, when they're not getting what they want out of the organization, they're going to like to go do other things. They have the skills right. to be able to do it. They have the ability to market their capabilities mm. through social media um, right. and land on their feet doing something else. So keeping right. your high performers is, is going to be, is going to be a challenge. And, uh, there's right. some ways, there's some ways to go about that, but that's a trend that, that's definitely here to stay. Another one, uh, based on the pandemic as, um, 
is the 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 difficulty now of connecting with employees. We don't have these typical town hall meetings as we're, we've been you know uh, accustomed to in years past, where uh, the town hall is taking place and the um, the person standing up presenting can see the people in the audience as to whether or not they're on their phones or talking to their friends or whatever. But right now, what I can do is I can turn off my video and uh, go to the restroom or, or, or respond to a text message or whatever. And, um, and, and that's just, that's, that wasn't available before. So now that we're doing a lot of our effort or a lot of work via Zoom, there are things that make it very difficult to connect with, with employees. And so we have to be much more intentional about how we go about that. And, um, and so I think that's a, that's a trend that, that's going to be with us uh, for a while as well. And then the only other thing that I, 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 I'd like to, you know, kind of touch on a little bit here is, you know, we, we, we talk about the importance of, of getting everybody aligned, right? And, and the, the idea of purpose and what it means to an organization and the importance of selling the vision and whatnot. If we don't take these things seriously and measure our progress in these key areas, we can't get better. The book talks about measurement, the things to measure. It talks about how to measure them, but the effort has to be there to do that and then to look at what these pillars mean. In other words, when the accountability score goes up, what does that translate into? Does that translate into higher profitability? Does it translate into uh, reduced voluntary turnover? Which one of these pillars has a direct impact on the thing that matters most to you? as a leader of the organization, so that as you unpack the questions within that, in that pillar, you can begin to put strategies and formulate ideas that ultimately help you achieve the goal that you're after. But it requires these leading indicators of, of data that help us make these better informed decisions. And I think data is here to stay is the final point that I would make. Using data to uh, effectively lead is a critical component. Absolutely. I think that's the exercise a lot of the listeners would uh, undertake, you know, try to understand their organizational metrics. Uh, please go and get the book. And I, you know, I plan to do that, try to understand where we stand in terms of alignment. And I think some of the things that you touched upon, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, it's going to get more challenging to retain quality talent and to engage uh, employees and, you know, more challenging than ever and and in a way it's good because that means the world is moving in, you know in the right direction where employees are empowered so you know it's it will require more than money it'll require more than you know a top-down messaging it will require more than a pat on the back it will require more than just answering questions so there's a lot that i have personally learned uh, you know the art of alignment a data-driven approach to lead aligned organizations please go get your copy of the book i'm planning to do that as well thank you so much art johnson it was absolutely a pleasure speaking with you i have personally learned a lot things that i plan to implement i'm sure all our listeners and viewers have as well thank you so much